الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد In our last lesson we concluded or we finished the fourth century, correct? Sorry, the second century. التدوين في القرن الثاني الهجري, صح? We spoke about the second century of the Islamic calendar. Today we're going to start تدوين of hadith fil qarn al-thalith al-hijri the third century so we're looking at al-qarn al-thalith al-hijri the third century what are we looking at al-qarn al-thalith al-hijri the third islamic calendar third century okay we're not looking at the gregorian calendar we're focusing on what calendar? The Islamic calendar. The way that I'm going to do my class today is in the following way. This is the layout. First of all, I'm going to give a muqaddimah, an introduction. Muqaddimah means an introduction. I'm going to give an introduction. I'm going to speak about kalima mujaza, a summarized speech about the efforts, the work that the scholars exerted at this century, the third century. What's the difference between the third century and the second century? Are you with me, brothers? So I'm going to speak about the juhud, the efforts, the hard work of the ulama, the scholars, in that century, the third century. في تطوير التدوين how they evolved تطوير means what how they evolved how they formulated how they developed التدوين the recording oh it's not like it was before we're going to see what is the different things that started to happen how did the تدوين change we're also going to speak about وابتكارهم how they initiated they created, they came with new ideas in the way of writing, the authorship. They came with new ways of authoring. And how they changed the ways of writing. So this means the same. How they changed, and how they developed, and how they evolved their writing and their authorship. Does that make sense? So what are we going to focus on here? Two things in the muqaddimah, in the introduction. How many things are we going to focus on? Juhud al-ulama, the efforts of the scholars. That's number one. I'm going to speak about how their efforts came. Second is, tatwiru, how they evolved and they initiated and they came with new ideas. And also, 
how they made it different their authorship so the word tatweer here means to evolve ibtikar is to initiate create innovate okay to come in new ways in the way that they authored and also the third point is what here regarding their authorship is tanwi' what does tanwi' mean? tanwi' means some of the books were called musnad some of them were called sunan some of them were called sahih they started to change their ways different types of authorship one person's book is only sahih another one his books are only musnad another one his book is sunan what is all of this? are we all together? After I finish the Muqaddimah and I speak in the Muqaddimah I have two main chapters to discuss inshallah ta'ala The first one is Al-Kalamu Anil Masaneed I'm going to speak about what a Musnad means We've heard that name a lot Musnad Imam Ahmed Musnad Al-Tayalisi We've heard the word Musnad What does a Musnad mean? So how am I going to speak about the Musnad in three ways? How am I going to speak about the Musnad? I'm at the Masaneed in general. I'm going to speak about it in three ways. The first one is Ta'riful Masaneed. What does the word Musnad mean? I will define it for you. Number three, Tariqatu Ta'lifiha. The way that a Musnad is authored. There's a way that a book, which is called a Musnad, is written. It's not like any other book. Number three, Ahamul Masaneed. I'm going to mention some of the most prominent Muslim books that are written. Shall I repeat that one more time? So I'm going to be speaking about the Masanid. Because this is what century? We're in the third Islamic history. Books that are called Muslim started. So we're going to speak about what, what these Muslims mean. How are we going to speak about it? How is the kalam regarding the musnad going to be? First of all, ta'riful masanid. Translate for us musnad. What does it mean? Lughatan wastilahan. What does it mean? Number two, tariqatu ta'lifiha. How are musnad books wrote, written? What method, a methodology, does a musnad follow in order for it to be a musnad? Number three, give us some names of books that are called Musnad. And I'm going to mention the most common, the most well-known ones. I'm not going to mention all of them because they're too much. After I finish speaking about the Masaneed, I will go into the next point which is Dirasa Mujaza, a summarized study. And Kulli Wahidin. We're going to go through each and every one of Min al-Kutubi Sitta. Min al-Kutubi Sitta. The six books of Hadith. Bukhari, Muslim, Abi Dawood, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Nasai. All six of them, we're going to go through it. Al-Ma'roofa that are well known. Does that make sense? And the way that we're going to be doing the six books is in two ways all the six books 
we're going to be doing the tarjama of the the imam so if we're talking about bukhari we're going to do his biography and the way that we're going to do his biography is in two ways okay we're going to be speaking about his hayat al-shakhsiyah his personal life and we're going to be speaking about hayatuhu al-ilmiyah are we all together and then we're going to be speaking about the what the kitab the kitab of each one so the author and how are we going to speak about the author his personal life and his academic achievements and then we're going to be speaking about the book in two ways how many ways are we going to speak about the book we're going to be speaking about the book in two ways we're going to do tarif of the book Ta'riful Kitab. Whatever book it is from the six books. Are we all together? And then we're going to speak about Manhaj Mu'alif. We're going to be defining the book. And then we're going to also what? Manhajul Mu'alif. The methodology of the author. Am I making sense? Am I making sense or have I said so much that it went all over your head? Huh? Is everything crystal clear? The scholars, they say, المستحي والمتكبر لا يتعلمان The shy person and the arrogant person never learn. Don't be shy to say, I don't know what you just said. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not bad, you can say that. So the second one is dirasa mujaza, a summarized. This is summarized. So much information will be dropped out. And kulli wahidin, each and every one of the six imams, Bukhari, Muslim, Abi Dawood, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, and Nasai. Those are the six imams. We call them what? Ummahatu Sitta. The six mothers. These books are valuable to us. So we'll study each and every one of them. Because they were in the third century. But the way I'm going to go through it is dirasa mujaza. It's summarized. It's abridged. How am I going to be speaking about these books? I'm going to speak about the author first. Because you're not going to value the book if you don't know the author. So when I talk about Bukhari, for example, I'm going to talk about Hayatu al-Shakhsiyah, his personal life. His mom, his dad, his siblings, where he was born, where he died, and etc. That's his personal life. Then I'm going to talk about Hayatul Ilmiya, his academic achievements, his educational background. How many ahadith did Bukhari memorize? Where did Bukhari travel to? Who are his teachers? Who are his students? Are you with me, brothers? These are his educational achievements. Once I speak about him, and this is not only for Bukhari, I'll do the same for Muslim. I'll do the same for Abu Dawood. I'll do the same for Tirmidhi, Nasai, and Ibn Majah. Then I'll move on to the book. I'm going to define for you this book, the definition. 
Ta'arifu al-kitab. And then I'm going to what? I'm going to go into the manhaj al-mu'allif. The conditions and the methodology that the author followed in his book. That's what we're going to do for all of the books, inshallah ta'ala. All of this four that I wrote is on your notes, inshallah ta'ala. You have it on your notes. Let's go to the muqaddimah, inshallah ta'ala. Let's go to the, the muqaddimah, the introduction. At this moment, the third century, what had happened was the books that were written evolved. How did they evolve? Scholars were not writing a hadith of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Aqwal al-Sahaba together. In the second century, what was the last book that we took? Muwatta of Imam Malik, right? Al Imam Malik's Muwatta, what did he have inside it? The hadith of the Prophet and the what? Aqwal al-Sahaba. And that was all mixed. The third century, the Tamiz started. Whatever the Messenger said, it's in books. Whatever the Sahaba said or did is in books. So the Tamiz started to happen. That's the first one. Tamiz here means distinguishing the statements of the Messenger, the speeches of the, the speeches of the Prophet and the Prophet's consent in one book and the statements and the verdicts of the companions in other books Tamiz, right? this is what happened in this era that's number one number two types of books were coming out that had titles and names books that were called number one Musnad the kitab is called Musnad Kutubs that were called Sihah Al-Sahih Kutub Al-Sihah Number three As-Sunan Books that were named Sunan Don't worry, what does Muslim mean? You don't have to know now Sahih, what it means right now? You don't have to know As-Sunan, what it means right now? You don't have to know But books that were carrying these names were coming out That's the second thing Are we all together? The Sahih, we have how many books that were called Sahih at this era? Al-Bukhari and what? Muslim. And here we have Sunan. How many? Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, and Nasa'i and Ibn Majah. Sunan, four books of Sunan. And Musnad, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to speak about today. Are we all together? So this era, the tamiz of a hadith from the Prophet's speech was cleared. So you open a book, all you know is everything in here is what the Prophet has said, done, or consented to. That's, that's what's taking place at this time. Second thing that started to happen in this era is books that were sahih were coming out, kutub which were known as sunan were coming out, kutubs that were known as masanid, musnad were coming out at that time it was just right are we all together the third benefit thing about this era 
was there were scholars who were known as Jahabidatun Nuqad. This is what they were called. What were they called? Jahabidatun Nuqad. What does Jahabidatun Nuqad mean? They were people who would grade a hadith. They were scholars who were elite, who knew the authentic ahadith from the weak ahadith. They were elite. They were present at this era. So the unique thing of this time was also what? Wujud, the presence of Jahabidatul Nuqad. Scholars who were their day-to-day life and everything about their day was about the hadith of the Prophet. And I'm going to mention some of their names. I'm going to write them on the board for you. Their names is Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Ishaq. Ibn Rahuya. Ali. Ibn al-Madini, Yahya, Ibn al-Ma'in, Yahya ibn al-Ma'in, Muhammad, Ibn muslim Ibn Warah, Al-Bukhari, Muslim Abu Zur'a Abu Hatim Both of them Abu Zur'a and Razi These are some of them Uthman ibn Sa'id al-Darimi and others Let's make it ten And add the last person Uthman ibn Sa'id al-Darimi these ten and many more were present at this time. No one could just say what they want about the Prophet Ahmad ibn Hanbal was alive. Ishaq ibn Rahuya was alive. Ali ibn al-Madini was alive. Yahya ibn Ma'in was alive. Muhammad ibn Muslim ibn Warrah. Abu Abdullahi, Muhammad ibn Sama'il ibn al-Bukhari. Muslim ibn Hajjaj, Al-Qushayri, Al-Naysaburi. Um, even this time, oh, Abu Nu'ayn Fadl ibn Dukain was before that. Uh, Abu Zur'at al-Razi, Abu Hatim al-Razi, Uthman ibn Sa'id al-Darimi. These a'imma were alive. So this third century, it had a unique point. Are we all together, brothers? So this time, this is the value that it holds. We've now finished the Muqaddimah. Has everyone understood the Muqaddimah? The Muqaddimah, we spoke about the value of the books and how the books have changed from how it used to be. Are we all together, brothers? Sah? Books have changed now. Musnad, Sihah, Sunan have come out. They were not present before that. Are we all together, brothers? Also, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ were placed in books and the statements of the Sahabas and others were placed in other books. Also, 
great, noble scholars, Jahabidatul Nuqad. These scholars, they are different from other scholars. These are unique, elite scholars. The way that they identify a hadith is even more than others. Like Imam Shafi'i will say to Ahmad ibn Hanbal, you know the defects and the hidden matters of hadith. Ahmad, if we narrate a hadith that you know it to be weak, tell us it. Who is saying this? Imam Shafi'i is saying this. Because Ahmad, he's from the Jahabidatul Nuqad. He's from the elite scholars. He can see the hidden, 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 hidden defects that not an ordinary person can catch. Are we all together? These were scholars who were elite now. Jaha Jahabidatul Nuqad. Okay, now we're going to go into the first point of the class which is this was a muqaddim of the all introduction we're now going to go into we're going to speak about the musnad what does a musnad mean so how are we going to speak about a musnad one of the 10 scholars that i mentioned from them was an imam by the name of yahya ibn ma'in rahimahullah ta'ala yahya ibn ma'in was so strong and he was great in ilmul hadith elite Elite in Ilm al Hadith that some of the people they were scared of Yahya Ma'in because if he criticized the person and he said his hadith is weak, no one would take it. Remember, he is the one who is distinguished one hadith from another, and he's saying this narration is accepted because there's no problem in it, and this narration is not accepted because so and so is in it. So, people will come to Iraq to shake the hand of Yahya ibn Ma'in and they will say to others. Look, he shook my hand. Yahya ibn Ma'in shook my hand. As though it was a no'tazki. Huh? Look at, he knows me, I know him. Rahimahullah ta'ala. So these people, as countries have border controls. Countries have what? Border control. So no one in, uh, comes into the land and the deen has hurras. Just like that. Border controls. Those who protect its boundaries. That no one can add to this deen what he wants. And no one can take from it whatever he wants. It's protected. And Allah protected it subhanahu wa ta'ala through them. What does he say? He says, Fasunatunabi <laughs> They came, they took the weak from the strong until it became clean. Naqiyah means clean and pure. As you can see right now. You have a hadith clear. They did that for you. They did all of this for you. So it's, on, it's, it's deserving on our side to do what? to know their biography and to study who they are rahimahumullah jami'an Abu Zur'at al-Razi rahimahullah when he died and this is another lesson for every one of us that whatever you do in the course of your life most likely you're going to die upon that thing that you used to do 
The Prophet said, Man amila ala shay'in ma ta'ali. Anyone who does something, he's going to die most likely doing that. وَمَنْ مَاتَ عَلَىٰ شَيْءٍ بُعِثَ عَلَيْهِ And anyone who dies upon something, he will be resurrected doing that. Abu Zur'ah was on his deathbed. He's about to die. His students were around him. His students were around him. And they wanted to remind him of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. مَنْ كَانَ آخِرُ كَلَامِهِ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ That the person whose last statement is لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Before he departs from this world, Allah will take him to what? To Jannah. Abu Zur'a was on his deathbed, so his students, they started the chain of narration. And when they started the chain of narration, they didn't want to say to him, say it. But they said it amongst themselves because they want him to come in. And one said it. He said the chain. And the second one said the chain. And Abu Zur'a took the chain over from them. And he said it himself. And he said, مَنْ كَانَ آخِرُ كَلَامِهِ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ and he died there. He didn't say Dakhal al-Jannah. But he didn't need to say Dakhal al-Jannah. Dakhal al-Jannah means he will enter Jannah. Are we all together, brothers? So look at the benefit. All of his life he spent in what? Ilm al-Hadith. Distinguishing this narration from this narration. Authenticating it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved him in what? He preserved him by saying that at his last moment. Rahimahullahu ta'ala. Now we're going to speak about the... Uh, the Masanid. What is a Musnad? And as I said, we're going to first of all, number one, we're going to do Tariful Masanid. We're going to define what a Musnad means. The word Masanid is plural. What's the singular? Musnad is a singular. Masanid is Jama', it's plural. Musnad is a singular, it's the one. Masanid is all of the Musnads and one of it is called Masanid. So let's define what a Musnad means. Musnad means in the Arabic language, Lughatan. What does the word Musnad mean, Lughatan? What does it mean, Lughatan? What does a Musnad mean in the Arabic language? It means anything that's risen from the earth. It means anything that's risen from the earth, that's what they call musnad, it's risen. Okay? Does everybody understand that? لكن اصطلاحا technically اصطلاحا what does the word musnad technically mean when we say اصطلاحا when we say technically we mean according to the scholars of hadith because we're talking about hadith here right so we mean اصطلاحا mean the definition of the word musnad according to who? The scholars of hadith, the muhaddithun. They have two definitions of it. How many definitions? They have two definitions. The first type of musnad is the hadith that's authentically transmitted to the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. 
ما اتصل سنده إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. It is any hadith that's connected to the messenger. Are we all together? That's called the Musnad. And there's many scholars who gave that name Musnad in their books, such as Al Imam Al Bukhari. Bukhari Sahih is called what? Al Jami' Al Musnad Al Sahih. Here he means Al Musnad, the hadith which is connected to the Prophet. From Bukhari to the Prophet is connected. So the first definition of the word Musnad means from the author of that book, whichever book you're reading. He's saying to you that whatever I say the Prophet said is going to be connected. Musnad. Does that make sense? Huh? So the first one is Musnad. Any hadith that to, from the author to the Prophet is what? It's connected. The second meaning of the word Musnad is, and this is the one we want, is the book I'm a, bringing a hadith of the companions together in one book. Gathering a hadith together in one book, the companions book. As we're going to see later, inshallah ta'ala, the person, he has a book. So what he's going to do, is going to bring all of the hadith of Abu Bakr from the Prophet ﷺ in one place. All the hadith of Uthman from the Prophet ﷺ in one place. All of the hadith of Ali from the Prophet ﷺ in one place. All of the hadith of Hakada. Does that make sense? So the second usage of the word Musnad means, it means the hadith that come in the name of the companions. This is the one we want to focus on. Are we all together? Walidalika, if you look at Musnad Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, how is it ordered? This is the way it's ordered. He started with the Khulafa'i al Arba'ah Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. So the first part of the book, when you open it, all of the hadith of Abu Bakr from the Prophet are they are there. Once you finish it, Uthman starts from the Prophet. It's all there. And then you go after that. Are we all together? So Abu Bakr, Umar, sorry, Uthman, and then Ali. And then after that, he brings the six remaining from the Ashara, Ashara Al-Mubasharina Bil-Jannah. The ten who were promised paradise alive. So Ahmed brought the first ten companions are who? The ten who were promised paradise. Are we all together, brothers? That's how he did it. Am I making sense? So if I want to go to the Musnad of Imam Ahmed, I, it's easy for me because I know that he brought all the hadiths of Abu Bakr in one place. And all the hadiths of Umar in one place. And Uthman and Ali and Hakala. Does that make sense? That's the second, word, um, the second usage of the word Musnad. What does it mean? It's to combine and to bring together the companions in one place. Okay? I'm to go according to the, of the names of the companions. Have I made sense in that regard? Crystal clear? Very good. Ah. 
الى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اوكي وي اوريدي منشند ذات ذا سكند تايب از وات كونسيرنز اس دينا نوت سي ذات وي نوت غونا لوك ات ذا فيرست وان بيكوز ذاتس نوت وير وير اندلجينج انتو ذا وان ذات وي وونت نو توداي اند وير ديفاينينج اند وي وونت يو تو انديرستاند از ذا سكند تايب which is the musnad that's in accordance to what okay according to bringing the companions together right did all of the scholars agree with ahmed in the way he chose to go about bringing the name of the the names of the companions he based it on what ahmed ibn hanbal the virtue Abu Bakr is the best in this ummah and then Umar comes and then Uthman and then Ali and then the six khulafa and uh, the six from the ten promised paradise that's the tariqah Ahmad ibn Hanbal took and that's one of the ways that the scholars take when it comes to bringing the companions are we all together? the second way is their lineage looking at the companions lineage which of them is most closest to the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam in terms of lineage and basing the companions on that are we all together so who would come first ali ibn abi talib would come first and then they did it based on that that's one way of doing it others have done it based on alphabetical order they will look at it alphabetically so who which companion is going to be first alphabetically Ubay ibn Ka'bin Ubay is going to be the first and then Usama ibn Zaydin will become after that and then after that will be Anas ibn Malik so how many ways would they bring the companions together number two how many ways did I say three ways the first one was what there are how they came early into Islam, the earliest into Islam, their virtue in Islam, their honor in Islam, their status. So this is the first one. The second is what? Their lineage. So Banu Hashim, and then after that, the other tribes that are closest to the Prophet's tribe, alayhi salatu wasalam. Does that make sense? And the third one is alphabetical order. The companions in alphabets. Does that make sense? Ah. Ha, alphabetically. Yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. So the third group of scholars they ordered the book but alphabetically. So the first companion will be Ubay ibn Ka'bin and then second will be Usama ibn Zaydin and then Anas ibn Malikin and then they carry on like that. Because alphabetically those are the those as in like huh so Aisha in this the third group of scholars she would be in the alphabet Ain. based on, if that book is going but based on alphabetical order what do you do which books are like that the Mu'jam of Tabarani. Tabarani is Mu'jam al-Awsat and al-Kabir and Sagir. It's alphabetical order. So you're going to look at the Mu'jam al-Tabarani. You need to know the way he wrote his Musnad here is in what way? 
Alphabetical order. You have Imam Ahmed's Musnad. What way is Ahmed going to be Musnad? Virtue. So he's going to he's going to write the who's the most virtuous of people. The first first Khulafa Rashidin, and then after that, the six promised Jannah, and then after that, Ahlul Badr, and then after that, Quraysh. Are we all together? When I say Quraysh, I mean the Muhajirin, sorry, the Muhajirin. Because everywhere in the Quran, who does Allah give presidents to? Allah always mentions the Muhajirin first. And then He mentions the Ansar. Are we all together? And if you look at the 10 promised Jannah, all of them are Muhajirin, none of them are Ansar. Are we all together, brothers? The Ashar al Mubashirin bil Jannah, all of them were what? All of them were Muhajirin. None of them were Ansar. So the Muhajirin come first. Then Ahmed's going to go according to Sawabiq and their Mahal in the Deen. From there? How they are? The Ashar al Mubashirin bil Jannah. Are they more virtuous? Naam. They are. زوجات النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم their Jannah is mentioned with the ayah الحقنا بهم ذرية وما ألتناهم من عملهم من شيء لكن nowhere do we have عائشات الجنة فلا هكذا the wives of the Prophet are named are we all together and some people think just because عشر المبشرين بالجنة are mentioned they think that the only people being promised Jannah are these ten are they more than that but why do you always say ten the ten promised paradise yeah? Because these ten were mentioned in one narration. Like in Bilal is from the companions promised Jannah alive. But is he mentioned in the ten promises? No. So some of the Sahabas, they were not mentioned for them Jannah alive. Like Abdullah ibn Abbas, we don't, it's not mentioned that he's in Jannah. Are we all together? That doesn't mean we're not going to say. Are we all together brothers? Like in these ones who have a clear cut statement takes precedence over them. Does that make sense? Wahakada. And so he said alphabetical order. What was the second? Huh? Lineage. What was the third? Virtue. You put your hand up. Huh? So alphabetical will be Alif. So if we say Abu Bakr, let's look at it together. Alif, Ba, and then what comes after Abu Bakr? Wow, which was first, Wow or Kath? Uh, sorry, uh, so Abu Bakr might go first, naam. Maybe Abu Bakr might go before Ubay ibn Ka'am, sahih. So you, do you know how we look at it? Abu Bakr has an Alif, Ubay has a... Ubay has a what? And Abu... So we look at, they have the same alif, ba, and then wow and ya, which one comes first? So then Abu Bakr will go before Ubay. Does that make sense? But I think Ahmed ibn Hanbal, he brought the Muslim, in his Muslim, I think he brought Ubay first. I'm not sure, no, not Ahmed, sorry, Tabarani. Verify, verify. Are you saying the difference by the 
Abu Bakr, you know, he's bringing his kunya now. He brings his kunya with it. Any other questions? Does anyone know Abu Bakr's real name? No, but no, no, don't put your hand up if you know. Put your hand up if you know Abu Bakr's real name. Okay, Jamil, those who know, I'm not going to ask you. Now I know the ones who don't know. <laughs> hey, Ashraf, what's Abu Bakr's real name? It starts with good, mashallah, Jamil. That's all I need. Hey, does anyone know his father's name? No, no. Who knows? <laughs> Everyone's going to put their hand up now. Okay, who knows Umm Salama, the Prophet's wife's name? What's her real name? Umm Salama, the Prophet's wife's name. I never forget Umm Salama's real name. The reason why I don't is because one of my shuyukh, when I told him I wanted to study his dars in Sahih al-Bukhari, he goes, I'll t- you can come to the dars. And I said, Jazakallah, Shaykh, may Allah bless you. He goes, big shart, with one condition. And uh, I said, what's the condition? He said, what's Umm Salama's real name? And I said, Allah, Shaykh, I don't know. He said, you can't come to the death sleep. <laughs> I went home, I memorized that name, I never forgot it. These people's names have to, they mean a lot to us, right? Umm Salam is a prophet's wife's name. Uh, a woman who traveled the two hijratain. She went to Medina and she went to what? Habashah. A virtuous woman. It's not fair that we don't know her name. Uh, take time out to know the names of these people because these are the people who transmitted our religion to us Wallahi, they transmitted this deen to us a lot of ahkam and rulings have come through to us because of Umm Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha so it's fair that we try to learn their names even before our own names and our children's names these people should be more beloved to us in his, the muqaddimah of his kitab, Tahdeeb al-Asma'i wal-Lughat, he said that the scholars and the righteous people, they are more honorable to us, and they have even more rights to us than our parents. All together. More than our parents. Do you guys know that the Prophet does he have rights on us? Huh? Does the Prophet have rights on us? Do you guys know that the scholars inherit that rights? The rights of the Prophet they inherit a great portion of it. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because the Prophet said, Al-ulama waratatul anbiya. That the scholars are the inheritors of the Prophets. What is it that they inherited? Rights. Rights come with it. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions that in his kitab, Miftahu Dari Sa'ada. So the rights that the Prophet has on you is that you know him. Sahih? And the rights that the scholars have on you is that you know them. Are we all together, brothers? So it's not good that you don't know these noble Imams. So we've defined what a Musnad means. Sahih? Now we're going to go into the second part, which is وَطَرِيقَةُ تَأْلِيفِهَا Are we all together? I spoke about وَطَرِيقَةُ تَأْلِيفِهَا by accident. I went fast into it. How many ways did I say وَطَرِيقَةُ تَأْلِيفِهَا is? Three ways, right? Alphabetical order based on tribe and the lineage of the Prophet and the third was what? The virtue. Jameel. Now I'm going to mention the third one which is Ahammu Kutub al-Masanid. The most well-known books of Musnad. 
I'm going to mention the first one is Musnad Abi Dawood Al-Tiyalisi. These are some of the Musnads that you need to know that exist. We won't go into the Khilafat of these books. Like for example, the Musnad of Abu Dawood Al-Tiyalisi, there's a Khilaf. Is he the one who wrote it? Or did his student Yunus ibn Habib Khilaf? But we won't go into that right now, Sahih? So let's write some of the most Ahammu, the well-known Ahammu al-Masanid Ahammu Number one, what did we say? Abu Dawood Abu Dawood al-Tayalisi Abu Dawood al-Tayalisi is not the Abu Dawood that did the Sunan It's another one are you there, brothers? This is another Abu Dawood. This is Abu Dawood is before Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. He's before him. Are we all together? Don't confuse the two. Um, one of the most known is Musnad Abi Bakr ibn Abi Shayba. The Musnad of who? Abu Bakr ibn Abi He has a Musnad. Some people, they confuse the Musnad with, with his Musannaf. The Musannaf is another book he wrote. The Musannaf is another book. And this is the Musnad that he wrote. Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shayba. The third one is the Musnad of Ishaq ibn Rahuya. Abu Ishaq Abu Ishaq ibn Rahuya rahimahullah And the fourth one is Ahmad ibn Hanbal's Musnad Ahmad ibn Hanbal And we're going to stick on Imam Ahmad's Musnad We're, going to we're just going to talk about that one inshallah ta'ala There are many, many more, but we'll just stick to Ahmed's Musnad. So now we're going to go into the next part of our discussion of the Musanid, which is Dirasa Mujaza al Musnad Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahimahullah. We're going to study a, in a summarized way the Musnad of who? Imam Ahmed? Al Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. The Musnad of Imam Ahmed is very big. It's 30 something volumes And it's the biggest musnad that we have From all of the masanid that, that's out there The biggest one that we have is what? Musnad Ahmed ibn Hanbal But Ahmed ibn Hanbal's musnad Wasn't the biggest Whose musnad was the biggest? I mentioned it last time If you know it, put your hand up I mentioned it in one of the classes The imam that had the biggest musnad but I said that, that his Musnad didn't reach us. Does anyone know? Fadl. Baqi ibn Makhlad. Baqi. Baqi ibn Makhlad. He was a student of Imam Ahmed. His Musnad was the biggest. Like in his Musnad what? According to our restricted knowledge, we don't have it. Are we all together brothers? 
I want to tell you something very fascinating. These books that are lost, a lot of people ask this question, if this book, was, if this book is more than 30 volumes, because Ahmed is 30 volumes, then Baqiyat al is going to be more than 30 volumes, Sahih. Isn't there a great portion of our religion lost? Are we all together brothers? Wouldn't that mean that a great portion of our religion is lost? That's, that's a lot of people ask. And that's a very good question. Nope. I can reassure you that there was never a book that was lost and then was found and it brought any additional knowledge. Stiqra. Every book that was considered lost and then for Allah Ta'ala's mercy and grace and generosity, that book got found. When it got found, it did not bring to the table anything new that we didn't have before. And this strengthens the concept of Allah protects the Quran and He also protects the Sunnah. Are we all together? How does Allah protect the Sunnah? Through the great scholars. Through them to protect it, to make sure that nobody says about the Prophet that which he didn't say. So the way Allah protected these books is that no book will get lost and there is it in that book. Something which is haram, we're eating. We're just eating it because we haven't seen the hadith and we're just eating it. It doesn't bring any additional knowledge. Are we all together brothers? Pay attention. Or any new ruling that we never had. Alhamdulillah what we have with us is what Allah Taala wants for us to implement. Let's talk about Imam Muhammad quickly and fast, who he is. Imam Muhammad is Shaykh al-Islam, Sayyidul Muslimin. He was one of the leaders of the Muslims at his time. He is Hafid Hujjah. He's a proof. Ahmed was a proof. At his time, people consider him a proof in the sense where if Ahmed said something, no one would question it. His integrity, his honor was profound. Ahmed ibn Hanbal is mujma'un ala jalalati. His virtue is unanimously agreed upon. Rahimahullah ta'ala. Rahmatan wasi'ah. His name is Ahmed and his father's name is Muhammad. Ahmed was born when the year was 164 Hijriah. And he died when it was 200 and when it was 241. 241. He was born 164 and he died when it was 241. Rahimahullah ta'ala. Yeah, that's his name. His name is Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Hanbal. But scholars they say Ahmed. Ibn Hanbal, people jump from his father's name. Are we all together, brothers? Hanbal is a granddad. Pay attention here now. Ahmad ibn Hanbal, like any other scholar, he went through his trials and his tribulations at his time. He was tested and he showed patience for what he believed. Scholars, they wrote books about his life alone. And they also mention his life in big books. 
One of the books that I can advise you to read his biography is in Sir Alam al-Nubala by Al-Imam al-Dhahabi. Sir Alam al-Nubala. His biography is there. Also the Kitab of Tabaqatul Hanabila by Abu Ya'la. He starts with the biography of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. It's great to read his biography. Let's go into the book, inshallah, ta'ala, the Musnad. Ah. The first one is Siyar Alam al Nubala by Imam al Dhabi. Al Imam Abu Abdullah Shamsuddin al Dhabi, rahimahullah ta'ala. And the second one is Tabakatul Hanabila. Tabakatul Hanabila by Abu Ya'la, rahimahullah. By who? By Abu Ya'la, rahimahullah ta'ala. And there are many other books, Manaqib Imam Ahmed by Ibn al-Jawzi and other books are written on his biography, but these ones can suffice you. Now I'm going to go into, inshallah ta'ala, about Al-Imam Ahmed's Musnad. We're going to know a bit about it, inshallah ta'ala. Point number one. You guys write this. How did Ahmed organize his book? Point number one. How did Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal organize his book? Hey, what did I say before? Huh? Based on the virtues of the companions and the, their position in the religion. So what did he start with? Abu Bakr. He started with the 10 promised Jannah. Including the... And then after that, who did he mention? No, no, after he mentioned the... Uh, the Ashar al-Mubasharina bil-Jannah, the ten promised Jannah. Who did he mention after that? Ahlu Bajr. I told you that. He mentioned Ahlu, Ahlu, the people of Bajr. And then after that, he mentioned who? Ahmed, rahimahullah, he put Ahlu Hudaybiyah, the people of Hudaybiyah. Are you there? He put the people of Hudaybiyah. After the people of Bidr. Rahimahullah rahmatan wasi'a. Okay, next point. The position and the status of the Musnad of Imam Ahmed. The status, the weight of this book. When we speak about the status of a book, we're talking it from the angle of. Is all of the hadiths in their sahih, or is there da'if, or they're fabricated hadiths? That's what we mean. Ahmed's kitab, what is it? The scholars they say Ahmed ibn Hanbal's kitab has a hadith which are sahiha, which are a lot. He also has hadith which are hasan, sound in the middle. And he has a hadith which are weak. But he does not have a hadith which is mawdu'ah. He doesn't have Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Fabricated narration. Are we all together, brothers? And Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah proves and he discusses that and he responds to those who said that there is mawdu'ah in the book. He shows there's no mawdu'ah in Ahmed's book. What does mawdu'ah mean? Fabricated. Mawdu'ah is the worst type of weak hadith. It's a liar is in the chain. Lying about the Prophet. Like in the weak hadith doesn't necessarily mean it's a liar. A weak hadith can be somebody who's doing an innocent mistake. Or his memory is bad. Or he got mixed up. 
That's weak. Lakin a fabricated hadith is a hadith where there is in it a liar. That's the worst type of hadith. Are we all together? Ahmed ibn Hanbal's kitab is even better in terms of authenticity than Sunan Abi Dawood, as Shaykh al-Islam in Taymiyyah said. You know Sunan Abi Dawood? Ahmed is better. What is he better than even Sunan Abi Dawood in terms of his conditions? Ahmed is more stronger in authenticity than Sunan Abi Dawood. But why did they not add Ahmed rahimahullah ta'ala to the six books then? Number one, he's the teacher of all of them. All of them are his students. I mean, they are of the level of his students. Some of them, they didn't meet him. But for example, Bukhari is a student of who? Muhammad ibn Hanbal. What about Muslim? He's a student of Imam Muhammad ibn Hanbal. So how is it that Ahmed's Musnad was not added to the sixth that we're going to speak about later, inshallah ta'ala? We leave that for later. Why they chose to not add Ahmed to the six books of hadith. Are we all together? How many ahadiths are in the Musnad? Now we're going to the next point. Adad ahadith al-Musnad. The Musnad of Imam Ahmed, how many ahadiths are in there? How many hadiths does it have? The Musnad of Imam Ahmed, it holds 40,000 hadith, 40,000 hadiths. How many? How many hadiths? 40,000 hadiths. Does that make sense? But the way that the scholars of hadith count the hadith is not what you guys think. You think there's 40 different new hadiths, right? One hadith, if it comes in different narrations, they consider different hadiths. Like for example, the hadith, How many narrations does it come through? Huh? Huh? Innamal a'malu bin comes through what? What did he say? 17. What do you think? One. Hadith innamal a'malu is min al-gharib. It's the strangest hadith. No one narrated from the Prophet except Umar. And no one narrated from Umar except Alqamah ibn Abi Waqas al-Layfi. And no one narrated from Alqamah ibn Abi Waqas al-Layfi except Ibrahim ibn Yahya. Are you with me, brothers? And no one narrated from Ibrahim ibn Yahya except who? Muhammad uh, Abdullah ibn Zubayrin Qala haddathana Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Taymiyu Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari Sorry, Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Taymiyu So Bukh, only Umar heard it Al-Qama only heard it from Umar Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Taymiyu Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari All of them heard it from each other No one heard it They, they are the only ones who narrated it And then when it reached Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari From there it became 200 Awza'i Abdullah al-Mubarak Humaydi Abdullah al-Zubayr But before that it's gharib But look at the hadith of Jibreel How many different ways does it come The hadith of Hadith Jibreel The long famous hadith Jibreel How many companions narrated from the Prophet 
two. Umar and who? Abu Hurairah. Are we all together? They will consider that to be two hadiths. Are we all together, brothers? The hadith in the Mal Niyat as a benefit, Bukhari brings it in six places in his Sahih. How many places in his Sahih? Six places. And all of the six books of hadith, all those six books, Bukhari, Muslim, Abi Dawood, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Nasa'i, all of them narrate in the Mal Amalu Niyat. It's in all of their books. So it's a hadith that the six books have all narrated. But it's still, it's still what? One. Okay. We spoke about the number of hadiths that are in there. Now we want to speak about how many companions are in the Musnad of Imam Muhammad. How many companions? Adadus Sahaba. The Sahabas, we're going to divide the Sahabas into how many? Two. Male and what? Female. The male Sahaba who are in the Musnad of Imam Muhammad rahimahullah are what? How many is that? 700 men. 700 men are narrated in the Musnad of Imam Muhammad and nisa'i from the women are 100 and something. 100 and something. As Al-Jazari rahimahullah mentioned. We've finished the knowledge that we wanted to know about the Musnad of Imam Muhammad rahimahullah ta'ala. Um, anyone have any questions? Yes, 700 companions, he brings their, na- their, 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 their names as the chain, as the hadith. No, 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 no. Is all of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ a promised Jannah? The scholars they differed on this issue, and the difference is based on the ayah: "والسابقون الأولون من المهاجرين والأنصار والذين اتبعوهم بإحسان رضي الله عنهم." Allah said, "I'm pleased with all of them." So the muhajirin and the ansar, Allah said, "I'm pleased with." Sahih. So if Allah is pleased with them, they are all. They're all in Jannah. That's Ibn Hazm's qawl. Ibn Hazm, that is the opinion that he took in his Kitab al-Muhalla. That all of the companions are what? They are in Jannah. Any other question? Fadl. In which meaning? The first or the second? What is a Musnad? Musnad means any hadith that's connected to the Prophet Any hadith that is connected to the Prophet That's one meaning. The second meaning is any book that is written based on the names of the companions. Fadl. Uh-huh. 
as it repeat that one more time that question. Anything that links to the companions now? Allah is pleased with the companions now. Sahih. So one thing we have to understand is Allah Taala is pleased with the companions in terms of their piety, but that doesn't entail that the companions are infallible, that they're free from mistakes. Are we all together? That's one thing I want as a side point. It's not your question, but it's a side point that the companions are not infallible. We don't believe they don't do mistakes. Somebody can't say Radiallahu Anhu Allah is pleased with them, then that means everything Abu Bakr says is right. Are we all together? It doesn't mean that. Meaning Abu Bakr's statement, some of it can be right and some of it can be wrong because he would do what? Ijtihadat. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But we would not, we would not put the statement of Abu Bakr with the statement of anybody after him. Are we all together? The ijtihad of Abu Bakr, it means a lot to us. Then anybody else's ijtihad, anybody else is independent reasoning. The reason why the scholars they distinguished between the Prophet's statements and the companions was the ahadiths which were attributed to the Prophet were being mixed with what was attributed to the companions. And it was fair that the people knew what the Prophet said. Because what the Prophet said is taken regardless. Whereas what the companions say is accepted if it's in line with what? The Quran and the Sunnah. But what the companion said, uh, this is a side point, what the companion said, some of it can be attributed to the Prophet. Pay attention to this point. If Abu Bakr talks about things that are going to happen in the unseen, what do we say here? But he doesn't say the Prophet said this to him. He just says that the day of judgment, this is going to happen. Or when a person goes to their grave, this is what's going to take place. Or before the hour comes, this is going to happen. That's, that's what Abu Bakr says. What do we do to this hadith? It is the statement of Abu Bakr, it's not the statement of the Prophet. Abu Bakr didn't say the Prophet said it, he didn't attribute it to the Prophet. So this is the statement of who? It's the statement of Abu Bakr. How do we deal with it? The scholars, they said, this which Abu Bakr is saying here, لَا مَجَالَ لِلْرَأِيْفِي it cannot have come from his own independent reasoning. It could not have come with this based on ijtihad. How could he know what's happening in the grave? Where could he have got that from? Ah, are you with me, brothers? So they say, it's mawqufu lafzan. The wording is mawquf marfu'u hukman. But it's ruling-wise, we deal with it like what? Like the Prophet said it. Except... Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, we don't do that to him. That noble companion, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, he is an exception of that principle. If you know why, put your hand up. He's a companion. If you know why he wouldn't be in that, put your hand up. It's amazing, huh? He's a companion and he's an exception. Hayy Fadl. 
Jamil. Abdullah ibn Amr. How old are you? 15. Anyone here younger than 15? No one. Is it? Asghar al-Qawm. The youngest. Fatahallahu alayka. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As. He used to read the scriptures of the Ahlul Kitab. And so sometimes he would speak from the Ahlul Kitab scripture. So the scholars, they say, we can't give it hukm marfu' because what he's saying, he's getting it from somewhere. Does that make sense? The day of Khaybar, when the, the battle of Khaybar, when everybody took the spoils of war, Abdullah bin Amr al-As, he took two zawiyah, two big baskets of the scriptures, and he left with that. And he went home and he started reading it. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So the scholars, they said, he would take things from there, and he would quote it from there. So they say, the scholars, rahimahumullah, that what he says, it's taken from the Banu Israel. Are we all together? Whereas the other companions, no, they wouldn't take it from there. So they must have taken it from who? The Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam. Does that make sense? Faddal. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Aas. Faddal. Mm. There's different books for it. Like if you, the Musannaf ibn Abi Shayba, Musannaf Abdul Razak ibn Hamam Sanani, these are companions. Some books they mixed it still. Like Al Imam Malik's Muatta, we mentioned it last week. Al Imam Malik's Muatta, it has everything in there. Does that make sense? It has all of it there. But. Not in the Sunan and all these books, and the, and, and the Bukhari and Muslim. It's, it's fair that the students get given a microphone because the sisters can't hear these questions, and sometimes these questions are good. I can't remember the question sometimes to repeat it. So two questions. First, ask question. First question is the ambassadors who met the messenger وسلم, were they considered to be companions? That's first question. Second question. So they met the prophet. They saw the prophet. They didn't believe him then. When the prophet died, they believed him. No, both of the par- parties that you mentioned, they're not Muslims. So they're not. Sorry, they're not uh, Sahabas. A Sahabi is anyone who falls under this definition. Ibn Hajjan mentions that in his Kitab al Isaba fi Tamiz al Sahaba. It's anybody who what? I hear some people saying who saw the Prophet, but there were some blind companions. So if you say anyone who saw the Prophet, you're taking the noble companion Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum out of the equation, and he's blind, he never saw the Prophet. So what do we say? Anybody who met the Prophet. Anyone who met the Prophet. Mu'minan bihi. They met the Prophet in state of Iman. When they met the Prophet, they were believers. Third condition is what? And they died upon Iman. Walau 
even if they apostated for a period of time, there were some companions who apostated, like Ash'at ibn Qais. Al-Ash'at ibn Qais, he apostated. And then what did he do? He came back to Islam. No one questioned his Islam. In, sorry, no one questioned his companionship. He was still a... So if he apostates, but he comes back, what is he? Huh? He's a Sahabi. Al-Ash'ath ibn Qais, مثلاً, So he, was a, he met the Prophet, he was a believer, he was with the Prophet, companion, and then he left Islam, he came back again, he'll be a believer. وَلِذَلِكَ The scholars, they took a fiqh from here, which is, when does your righteous deed nullify? Because his companionship is a righteous deed. When did it nullify? When you apostate or when you die? Let's say I did Hajj. I did Hajj. I don't want to see this example. I don't want to give it. Let's just say a person who's standing here. Ah, uh, yeah, somebody who's standing here. He done Hajj, and then he apostated, and then he came back to Islam. Does he have to do the Hajj again? So this question goes back to what? Does the apostasy straight away nullify your deeds? Or does your deeds nullify when? When you die. This is homework. <laughs> Next week, inshallah, I want the answer for this, okay? I want evidence. There's an ayah in the Quran. You see, I'm giving you a tip that mentions this. Go look into it, inshallah. Tabal. Now this issue, are you allowed to read the scriptures of the Christians and the Jews? Can you read the Bible? Can you read this mas'ala? The scholars differed on this issue. The reason why is because the Prophet when he saw Umar reading the Torah, and then the Prophet said, why do I see you read the Torah? And then the Prophet he said, what I have come with you is enough. Wallahi law kana Musa hayyan If Nabiullahi Musa was alive Ma wasi'ahu Allah would give him no other option Except to follow me Musa would follow me So stop reading the Torah The Quran came, take the Quran Some of the scholars they took the, that's, that's, what's that, What is that hadith showing? That you're not allowed to? You're not allowed to read it And then there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ In which he said and then the Prophet ﷺ, he said in the hadith, وَحَدِّثُوا عَنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ وَلَا حَرَجُ وَحَدِّثُوا عَنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ وَلَا حَرَجُ Narrate from the people of Bani Israel, narrate from them, وَلَا حَرَجُ And there's no problem in that. So how do you reconcile between the two? The best view is the following view. Number one, the scholars divide it, they divide the issue into three. In the Injil and the Torah, whatever is in there that opposes our deen, we don't accept it. Are you with me, brothers? Anything that's in the Torah or in the Injil, 
and it goes against our religion, meaning our religion has another ruling. What do we do? We take our religion, we don't we ignore it. That's one. The second is things that are in the Torah and that are in the Injil that go hand in hand with what is in our religion. We're the same in this. Are you with me, brothers? Like, for example, the issue of Ashura from Nabilahi Musa, sah? When the Prophet was told Ashura, the Jews are venerating Nabilahi Musa. What did he say? What did the Prophet say? We have more rights for Musa than them. And then the Prophet he fasted on the day of Ashura and he fasted a day. Or he mentioned the fasting of a day before it. Just so we change, just so we don't copy them, we just change it a little bit. The scholars they say, whatever's in their scripture and is in our scripture that are the same, we take it because it's in our religion. The third one is the where the khilaf comes from. What is the third one? Something that's in their religion. It doesn't go against our religion, nor does it affirm our religion. What do we do here? It doesn't go against any hukum shara'i here. It's not going against any of our rulings. What do we do here? The strongest opinion is you withhold from here. Why? Because the distortion that happened to the Torah and the Injil is not all of it. Are you with me, brothers? There could be a part of it that's still wahyu min Allah, that was a revelation from Allah. Are you there, brothers? So, what does the person do? He withholds and he doesn't implement it. Are you with me, brothers? So, don't affirm it and don't. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he said, La the Prophet said this. He said, Don't believe this and don't disbelieve in it. This is fi haizatil ishkal. We don't know. Does that make sense? But the third one is where the biggest issue comes from. No one's discussing the first two. The third one is the discussion, which is that which is in the Torah and the Injil. But it's not in our, it doesn't go against our religion and it doesn't go. Does that make sense? As in debates between different religions. The biggest issues that come from these things is that shubahat, doubts come from it. You see, the heart, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, you, know, you know what he said to his student Ibn al-Qayyim. Do you, do you, you all know who Ibn al-Qayyim is, right? Ibn al-Qayyim, of course, he used to refute the different groups and the different sects and Ibn al-Qayyim even refuted the Jews and the Christians. He has a kitab called Hidayatul Hayara. And he refuted all of the groups within Islam. Ibn Taymiyyah said to him, to his student, he said, make your heart like a mirror. That when something goes on it, it drops off it. And don't make it a sponge. What happens? It will suck it. A lot of the times when these doubts are thrown at people, especially the general mass who don't know much about their own deen who don't know much about the religion a doubt may fall into their heart and when that doubt falls into their heart what happens it grows are we all together 
What does it do? It grows. وَلِذَلِكَ The best way, the best way when it comes to debates is that it should not be public platform. لا شك. Ahmad ibn Hanbal, who was an imam, he'd never like to debate publicly. He would turn away from people. A man came to Imam Malik, who's more knowledgeable than Malik? And he wanted to debate Imam Malik. And then he said to him, I want to, to debate you. Imam Malik said to him, if I win, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to follow you. He said, if you win, what do you want me to do? He said, you follow me. He said, if another person comes and he beats both of us, what do you want him to, what, what should we do? He said, we both follow him. He says, it seems like your religion is not stable. You're jumping from one person to another. He said, I am upon certainty in my religion. And it seems like you're doubtful. You have to prove a point. Go to somebody like you who's doubtful and debate with him. This showed with his knowledge and his understanding, and Imam Malik didn't want to debate. Are we together? And debates really, from what I've seen, it's not to do a lot with knowledge. It's how cunning you are in the debate. And the tactics that you use. And the play of words. Are you with me, brothers? No one walks to the debate podium saying, if the haq comes, I'm going to take it. Are you with me, brothers? So the best thing is to stay away from bringing doubts to your heart and stay away from it. The best thing when you're studying is ta'seel. Learn the foundations, ground yourself on the foundations. Don't ever think to yourself that that doubt that you heard, that stuck to your heart, it won't hold on to it. Abdul Aziz ibn Ubaz, this shocked me when I heard this. Do you guys know who Abdul Aziz ibn Ubaz is? Alayhi rahmatullah. Ibn Ubaz, he said, I'm never going to read the kitab Talbisul Jahmiya by Shaykh Al-Sam You know why? Ibn Ubaz, Mufti Al-Ab, he was the great Mufti. He said, I'm not going to read Talbisul Jahmiya. Because Ibn Qaytaymiyyah brings the different tawa'if and groups, the Qadariyah and the Jahmiyyah and their kalam, and he's going to break it down. Shaykh Ibn, Ibn Basit, I don't want my heart to come across this. I don't want this doubt to come to me. Alayhi rahmatullah. And his knowledge was, his knowledge was, sah? Are you with me, brothers? Ibn Ubaz, Fathul Bari would be read on him, and he would correct it, and he would place ta'liqat on it. Are you with me, brothers? So, Amatul Nas, young children, youngsters and youths and women and people who don't even know anything about the deen to listen to these interfaiths has actually brought in the UK what we've seen is a lot of problems. It has wallahi. And the religion becomes the religion becomes debate only. Allah divided the people into how many? Three types. When you're speaking to the non-Muslims, there are three types. Allah said, Udu ila sabili rabika bil hikmah. Speak to the people with what? Wisdom. Wal mawidah means what? Reminder. The third type is wajadilhum, debate them. What has happened in the da'wah scene is that it's become all what? Wajadilhum billatihi ahsan. Debate, debate, debate. There is a person, if you just took him out for a meal and you sat with him and you just had that conversation with him normally, he would say, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashadu Muhammad Rasulullah. And you are jumping straight away to say to him, Hey, show me your scripture. It's contradicting here. You see, Jesus didn't say this. And he, are you with me? So he becomes stubborn now. Huh? And Allah has wisdom why he chose us to deal with these people based on these three. 
We're now going to go into the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala, which is Ulum al-Qur'an. 